Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 99 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I am here in Malaga, Spain, sitting across from the one and only Sam Marks. Johnny Jen, Johnny FD. Dude, I'm excited. Thanks so much for meeting in Spain because I know I really tried to pull your arm to get here and you made it happen. And now it's it's officially tradition. We're doing it, buddy. This is our third year in a row meeting up in person for the summer. Last year. Summer siesta. We walked <laughs> basically across Ireland. I did the Wicklow way for eight or nine days with Sam. Mm-hmm. He continued without me. And the year before, we did a Eastern Europe road trip, starting in Bulgaria all the way to Ukraine. Mm. And this year, I said to Sam, I don't want to fly across pretty much half the world to go to Spain for, for seven days. But yet, here I am. We're having a hell of a time. We got the wine back out. Tapas, finding some great spots all across Spain, now on the southern coast. And I'm just... I'm just happy to be here, man. I'm happy that we're at 99 episodes. We're learning a ton. We are moving our investments around. We're hopefully learning a lot for ourselves and, of course, for our listeners. And we're coming up on episode 100. We're going to talk about that later in the episode. But just want to give a quick shout out to, of course, all of our listeners and also all the guests because that's a lot of valuable time. We're talking 99 episodes. Probably 90 of those have been with guests. And that's that's not it's at least ninety hours of recording with top level guys, top level women, investors of all sorts, money makers of of all masters and expertise. So I'm just super humbled by the the whole opportunity that we've had over the last couple of years, what we've learned and what we've been able to share. Yeah, definitely huge shout out to everyone who's been on the show, for everyone who's participated, and starting next week for episode one hundred. Mm-hmm. You can be part of the show by submitting a question through our email address. Uh, you can just send it to me, johnny at investlikeaboss.com, and I'll make sure we read it on air. I will also put it in the Facebook group. So if you guys are part of the Boss Lounge, you'll see it there, as well as send it out to the email list. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go to investlikeaboss.com, keep an eye out for the email, and you can basically just reply to any of those emails and submit your question to be answered on episode 100. I love it. I'm looking forward to that. And just for any of the new listeners, we got a lot of new listeners every episode. This is one of our favorite episode formats. This is our quarterly updates. This will be the Q2 updates, meaning we're recapping our second quarter of this year's 2018. And on this episode, typically what Johnny and I do is we go through everything that happened the last quarter with our new investments, updates on different strategies, and of course, how our portfolio has performed. So it's been a lot of fun each quarter. Uh, fortunately, the last two years, we've been in relatively an up market. So performance has been good. And I think uh, it's been fairly good this quarter as well. We'll dive into that. But for any of the new listeners that are just tuning in for this episode, know that in the following episodes, in most episodes, we actually interview experts in a specific niche of investing to share their wisdom and expertise. Uh, and then Johnny and I get on at least every quarter and usually even more frequently to talk about something that that we have domain experience in and including our quarterly updates like we're going to do on this episode. Yeah. So 
I'm excited to dig in and see what is up, what is down, what is sideways. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about travel and what we've been up to here uh, in Spain together and everything else. But before we get started, I want to give a quick thank you to everyone who's left these amazing reviews on iTunes and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. I know Android has a new podcast app as well. So if you can leave a uh, review there, please do it. No idea how to do it. So you guys are gonna have to figure it out. But I'm sure you guys are all smart guys and gals. You can figure it out. Uh, but this week, I want to acknowledge and thank Dave Swanner. He says, episode 62 is pure gold. What was episode 62? I don't remember. I don't know. That's, uh, it's getting lengthy for me, but let me look it up quick. Well, anyways, he said, five stars, just listened to my first iLab episode on a flight <laughs> from Honolulu to San Diego and really loved how insightful it was. Most folks can only dream of financial independence. And you have two guys who have made it happen, made it giving honest advice about what comes next. Who loves... Would love to hear an episode dedicated <laughs> to life after financial independence. Dude, you know what's funny? Episode 62 happens to be our Q2 updates from 2017. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's the exact same episode that we're doing one year later and we're doing about this year. Um, but listeners often like these episodes the best. Hopefully, it's everything that we've learned over the last quarter and, of course, a review of our own portfolios. And uh, it's always fun. So actually, it's going to get... For any of the new listeners out there, this can seem like a ton of information quick, but anyone that's been following the podcast for a while knows that knows and uh, is privy to a lot of our positions in different investments, so they'll be a little bit more familiar with it. But anyways, if you want to learn more about our, our positions, you can listen to previous episodes and we'll hopefully catch you up on this one. Yeah, but yeah, like basically go back to episode one and two to learn more about how Sam and I got started. Mm -hmm. And then if there's any specific area of investment, that we talk about, let's say we talk about Wealthfront or Lending Club or out of FX. If mm -hmm. you want to know more about that episode, just go to investlikeaboss.com and look for that specific episode. Love it. Johnny, before we get started, any uh, vino tinto para tu? Oh, man, I wasn't going to have any more wine, but if you want to pour me some. Te necesitas? Uh, yeah. Okay, let's make it I might, might as well. Yeah. All right, so I actually just pulled up my net worth statement for the month. Well, not the month, I guess the quarter. Uh, it's just a Google sheet. And it's actually really nice to be able to log in and see quarter to quarter if things are going up or down or what is happening. Uh, and actually, normally it takes me literally hours to update mm -hmm. this document. You know, there, I have maybe, you know, three bank accounts. I have a couple credit cards I have to go in and make sure they have zero balances so I can know my net worth. Uh, I have maybe now 15 different investments yeah. because we keep investing in things that you know we talk about on the show. <laughs> and then uh, I have like all these other random things too. And normally it literally takes me hours and hours. But now that I've installed the personal capital dashboard, I can just log in and I literally see my total net worth like that in seconds. And to be honest, I still went in and updated my spreadsheet just in case it was either different or just to kind of see how things are going up and down. But it was like pretty much spot on and it took like it's so much faster. I wanted to build this like two years ago and I didn't, I heard about personal capital back then and I, I still have not looked at it. I have not even seen your dashboard. I'm looking at it during this episode. I'm still in a spreadsheet. I've been in a spreadsheet probably for the last six or seven years. 
I just looked at my rows. So I have 54 rows. Oh my God. So that's, you know, obviously a, a composition of bank accounts and a ton of different investments and underlying assets, property, etc. I usually update this like every two months, but it's not, it's not perfect. Um, I need to, I, <laughs> I got to get this into it because actually my accountant Mario was like, Hey, you really need to do this monthly and know where things stand. I'm pretty good about it, but it would be nice to have some nice graphs and kind of know where things close off at the end of each month, just like you do a normal business, right? Yeah. And if you guys want to check it out, just go to investlikeaboss.com slash personal and you can you can basically make a free account. Mm-hmm. Do, you want to, do you want to take a look at my dashboard yeah, while you're here? I, am I going to be excited or scared? I mean, it's pretty easy. For so. you, that is. <laughs> Grab a seat. All right. So, so far... Uh, it's flat. That's my first observation. It's very flat. Yeah. So the graph that you that you see right when you log in shows the gains and the the losses. So kind of a up and down graph. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I didn't really know about personal capital. I didn't install it until May, so like a month or two ago, and I haven't really been putting more, much more money in. It hasn't kind of significantly gone up or down. So I just don't have enough data. To, like it doesn't unfortunately it doesn't go in and pull data from like months or years ago and that's probably a good reason for you guys to start mm-hmm. you know basically install it as early as you can even if you're not you know uh, fully invested yet or you're just getting started but especially like you know really wherever you are it's better to install it now because then you can have the data from you know as going forward so you, your net wealth is up so my total net worth is up it is i think last time it was Checking my dashboard, six hundred and seventeen thousand. Uh, sorry, on my spreadsheet. Now it's at six hundred twenty-six thousand. No, no, yeah. Whew. Which is great because you don't work. <laughs> I, yeah, you really don't work. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I did work a few years ago, and luckily, I have a lot of passive income still coming in from it. Yeah, but this is actually a little bit unfair. This amount. Why? Because I still haven't paid taxes yet for two thousand seventeen. Ooh. Damn, that's part of uh, being self-employed and your own boss. And I was honestly, I actually wrote like a pretty angry email to my new tax accountant today, uh, Bright Tax. <laughs> shout out. Shout out. <laughs> Basically, what happened was I submitted everything, like, I think it was end of February or something. It was pretty early. And, you know, they were a bit busy during tax season. I was a new customer. I'm like, okay, it's fine. They filed an extension. So... You know, May 30th came, two mm-hmm. weeks before tax season, and they asked for, finally asked for all my documents. I sent it to them, and then they're like, hey, you know, do you mind if you do an extension? It's, you know, it's only two weeks away. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So they did that. Then I didn't hear from them for a month. I'm like, okay, you know, they're busy. It's tax, tax time. Two months passes. I emailed them. I'm like, hey, <laughs> what's happening? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we need this uh, income statement from you. So I prepare it, send it to them. I don't hear back for another month. And I, and I emailed them back again. It, like Literally, it's one month between me hearing from them. Mm-hmm. And now it is mid-July. It's been, what, five months? And finally, I get a response from my CPA saying, like, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. This Starting this year, there's all these new rules with the kind of foreign corporations having a foreign bank account, having money in there. And the information has just been kind of crazy. That's what's happening. So I'm. I think this probably would have happened with any any tax company because mm-hmm. there's so much kind of unknown. But it forces me me to keep a bunch of money in my account that's not really mine because mm-hmm. because I haven't paid taxes yet. Okay. 
Well, I think one of the really cool things, um, you know, <laughs> you're living off, you're basically living off of your money that's invested in a passive way. Each quarter, you're kind of like, everyone look out because I'm going to start crushing it and doing all this stuff. And then you end up traveling for the next three months and not really working. But it's just, this is the perfect example of being able to live the life you want to live in control of your schedule, location independence. And you know, you're not a multimillionaire, but you're living and doing exactly what you want. And you can choose to ramp it up or, or choose not to in the last few quarters since we've been recording, uh, at least the last couple quarters, you haven't been trying to ramp it up, but you've been doing all the things that you really want to do, which is really cool. And every time we get on right before we record, time, it's like, oh, geez, oh my God, like, oh my God, I, I think I've lost so much money. And then every time you pull it up, you're like, ah, actually, I'm okay. I found some money that I wasn't tracking or an investment that I forgot about type of thing. And each time it continues to tick up. So if anyone goes back to like two, you know, the first two years ago, when we first started recording, you'll know that Johnny's income is up significantly. Uh, our net wealth is up significantly, even though he hasn't been working. So I think what all the listeners want to know about both of us is like, what investments are we in uh, that are continuing to generate this passive income for us to live off of? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of passive income. I mean, this literally is the only thing that has allowed me to be able to continue living this lifestyle, traveling mm -hmm. and making money. So we're going to break down, you know, uh, item by item, if it's up or down, what we're investing in and why. But I just want to show Sam real quick how easy it is to look through. So on the left-hand side, it says the total net worth. Mm -hmm. And then under it, it says your assets and actually minus your liabilities. So it like live updates how much you own your credit cards or your mortgage and things like that. Then you have a section that says cash that has all your bank accounts and shows how much cash you have in there. Mm -hmm. I'm actually very cash-heavy right now. I have $116,000 in cash while my net worth is 626000 so it's like, what, 15, almost 20% of my, my net worth is in mm -hmm. cash, yeah, which is pretty high. The only reason why it, I have so much in there is because of the taxes. I don't know if it's going to be 30 grand or if it's going to be you know, more. Right. So I just need the cash in there. And then second, the other reasons why it's unfair is a big chunk of it, maybe close to 20 grand of it is actually maybe more. Maybe this whole 26,000 of it mm -hmm. is from... Ticket sales for the next two Nomad Summits. Ooh. The one in Vegas that's coming up Labor Day weekend, September 1st to 3rd. And then the Chiang Mai one, which we started selling tickets for as well, which is next year in January <laughs> 19th. And it's a basically a break even right now because I'm going to, I'm basically committed to these venues, which are like 20 grand, where even if nobody shows up, I still have to owe the venue 20 grand because it's kind of like the minimum to hold the place. Right. So it looks like I have 26,000 in my account, which I technically do, but it's not even my money. Mm. How's that feel? It hurts. Like it really like I'd rather I'd rather almost not have that stress because even though it doesn't f seem like I've been working these last couple of months, I've been working my butt off trying to get the Nomad Summit up. Right. And it's a huge gamble. Because so far, you know, it was me negative twenty thousand, then now me zero, yeah, and now me trying to grow it. Man, you still yeah. look good. You still look good, man. Your bank account looks good. Your your personal capital looks good. So I appreciate it. Um, but here's, here's the thing: yeah. you, we know that we have this conversation every quarter. You're in a position that if you want to, 
you you have a big network, you have a great platform, you have a lot of good skills. You can ramp that up at any time. It might take six, eight, 12 months to get going. But if you want to just lock yourself into an office and make it happen, you can do it. And that's a powerful feeling. And that gives you a lot of freedom. That gives you the freedom to do what you want the last quarter and the quarter before where you're like, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's not super comfortable, but you in the back of your mind are like, I, I got this under control, right? Yeah. So it's a decision you have to make. I don't know if it's going to happen this quarter. Maybe next quarter you're going to find a beautiful girlfriend. You just want to build a house and um, and it's going to change things. But the good thing is, is that you've spent a significant part of your life building up skills, learning about investing, learning how to make money. And if you want to, that's a very powerful thing to just be able to leverage and go at it when you decide to make make your next upswing. Yeah, I definitely agree. And and we've been talking about that for a while now. So we'll see what that <laughs> the happens. The whole car ride. <laughs> but uh, before we actually dive into each uh, category, I just want to show you how cool it is that all of these um, accounts are connected to my dashboard. Mm-hmm. So I have my Charles Schwab accounts, which I have some um, some stocks in. Actually, three different accounts. A Roth, uh, a stock account, and another uh, one. I have my Fundrise connected. Lending Club is connected. Pure Street is connected. My Vanguard is connected. My Wealthfront is connected. My Wealthfront SEP RRA is connected. My Yield Street is connected. And then it's and here's the other cool part is you see down here it says when it was last updated. A lot of mm-hmm. these were updated like 30 minutes ago, and at most they were updated like an hour ago. Yeah. So it's pretty much live where it's pulling data just um, from what's actually in your account right now. Yeah. I don't. Know. I think like this is valuable, but. I don't. I don't think I would pay for it, um, but it is free, right? Yeah, it's it's surprisingly free. <laughs> I wouldn't. Pay, I wouldn't pay for it, especially. I am kind of at the extreme level where I have fifty investments slash financial accounts. I think the average person is probably closer to ten or less, right? Or maybe even five or less. If you have five or less, a spreadsheet's going to do it. But if you want everything automated and you want real time reports, you want to click on that on your phone and just see what the real time update is. I think this makes a lot of sense. The dashboards, of course, help. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. I think um, I I still like my old fashioned spreadsheet, but it's pretty cool seeing yours. Okay, cool. Well, um, glad you got to see it. What I'll do is what's I'll, working. I'll, I'll blur out some of the uh, you know super valuable stuff like the count numbers. But I'll take a screenshot of the dashboard. I'll put it in the show notes of episode 99 so you guys can see what it looks like. And if you guys want to make your own, uh, it's it's free. It's investlikeaboss.com slash personal. Tell us. Uh, no, you want to sit back to your career? No, I want to sit next to you. You're shirtless. We're drinking wine. We're having fun. Bike's going to be away, bro. <laughs> all right. So all right, I'm going. All right. I'm leaving. But seriously, tell me how you made some money this last quarter. And if there's any secrets that you're holding back, you better open them up right now. All right. So... I guess I'm going first. Or do you want to go first? Okay. So uh, let's see. Why don't you keep going because you're already in it. Okay. Some of our stuff, as always, is going to overlap, guys. Um, but yeah, why don't you just do like kind of high level, like bang, 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 what worked, what didn't, and then touch on anything that you feel was you know impressionable for the quarter for everybody. Okay. So by far the biggest gain percentage-wise, but maybe actually even dollar-wise, was my Facebook stock. Oh, wow. Individual stock picker you are. Yeah. So I only own two stocks. <laughs> One is Facebook, which I bought as really my first investment. And this was years ago when it was $75. And when it started dropping, I was I freaked out and I was going to sell. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I posted my sell orders on 
Facebook or my blog. And it's because of, you know, readers of my blog that said, hey, Johnny, you shouldn't do it. You should hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of explained to me like the basics of investing. I kept it and then I actually bought more at 55 and now it's up to $207. Mm-hmm. So four time, 400% return. And this is why I like talking about investing so much and helping others is because so many people helped me when I got started. And I think an important thing to, to point out is if you go back through our episodes, one of the major, major takeaways is don't buy individual stocks. Over the course of time, you're going to have the same upside with significantly more downside. However, Johnny and I still have made a lot of money. We both own Facebook stock. I got Tesla stock at a very at like 50. Um, but over the course of time, we both know we're not buying stocks, right? But this is particularly one that you've done well with, and I've, I've also been on with you. Yeah, so the only stocks I would ever buy is if you have some kind of insider information, whether you're, I mean, you can't really do it as if you're like, um, you know, if you actually have insider trading knowledge, but let's say you are a user of that uh, that platform. Um, for example, the only other stock I own is Shopify. And a few months ago, some guy was on like CSB, NBC or something saying, that he shorted Shopify, Shopify stock and that it's going to collapse. You know, the platform is full of people, you know, creating these online stores that they're all going to fail. And there was all this hysteria about e-commerce, dropshipping, you know, not being like a sustainable business. So this guy shorted the stock and it was all over the news. But I knew that Shopify is a great platform, that e-commerce is here to stay. So just like, Basically, to protest against him, and because I knew he was an idiot, I bought a bunch of Shopify stock at, I think, $90, and now it's up to, I haven't checked, but I think it's like 150 now. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I bought it is because I have inside knowledge as a user, knowing that the mass, you know, I guess the general public, uh, it was, was wrong about it. And the same thing with Facebook. I... New actually, well, Shopify stocks at one sixty five now, mm-hmm. and about for ninety five. Nice. So, as a not just a Facebook user, but as someone who is buying advertising on on Facebook and uh, having a lot of friends who are you know digital nomads and entrepreneurs buying Facebook uh, ads, I knew it was working. I knew it was converting, and that it was kind of just like in the beginning phase. So when Shopify came out, um, and well, the ads came out. And the stock, for whatever reason, was dropping, even though the earnings were good, even though they had a good new monetization platform. I had inside knowledge knowing that, hey, this shouldn't be dropping. This should be going up. So if you guys are in that situation, then buy the stock. Or if you have stock options, like one of our buddies here, yeah, and you can get it for a discount and you know it's a good company that's going to go up, then buy it. But don't just buy stocks to gamble. Otherwise, just buy ETFs. Hold them long term, take the emotions out of it, but understand what you own. What else is working for you and what's not? Well, let's talk about the ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you what do you have in uh, Vanguard? Is it is it going good for you? Going down? You go through yours first, and then I'll I'll run through mine because I got a laundry list. Do you? Yeah. Oh my god! All right, I'll try to be quick then. Vanguard's up. All my um, basically all my next funds are up. Mm-hmm. I went from having. Two hundred and six thousand dollars in uh, my Vanguard fund to two eighteen nine hundred, so that went up quite a bit. And that's that's heavy in VTI, which is the total stock index. Yeah, so it is. I think 
about 75% VTI, mm-hmm. and the other 25% is split between uh, VBUX, I believe. Uh, and so basically, uh, one is the total international stock market, which I think was uh, VXUB or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And the other one was the uh, low, the small cap value stock. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to hear more about asset allocation and how we picked our own index fund portfolios, take a listen to episode 86. We did a deep dive into where we started with these things and what we learned and how we apply that to where our portfolios are today. That was actually a really fun episode. That was a good episode. But uh, that's, I mean, I would say almost half of what we've learned on this episode is about index fund allocation or portfolio allocation. Big, big um, proponent of kind of the boggle head method, mm-hmm. the the Vanguard low cost index fund method. So I just double checked. It's VBR, small cap value ETF, the VTI, which is the Vanguard total stock market index, and then VXUS, Vanguard total international stock index fund. And it's up, it's up, it's up. And more importantly, actually, finally, <laughs> I uh, started actually spending the... I don't even know what it's called. So basically what had happened was I transferred a bunch of money into Vanguard, mm-hmm. into a money market account, and I right. didn't actually invest it into any investments. Yeah. Uh, and what happened was that money just sitting there not really earning any interest, sure. not going up or down. And I think I did it because I had too much cash in my checking account, my checking account for a while. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to put it in Vanguard, but I was so scared to buy stocks because if you guys remember... One or two years ago, everybody was screaming, it's going to fall soon. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a bubble. You know, any day is coming mm-hmm. and it hasn't come. It's it's literally gone up since then. Yeah. And because I follow the advice on this podcast that we learn, I know that the only way to time the market, the best way to take advantage of market timing is total time, time. Total, total time, time in the market. Total time. Dan Egan. Yeah. Mm, I love that. So, so that was a great episode. Uh, check that one out. And basically, I'm very happy to say I basically spent all the you know 40, 50 grand I had just sitting in this money market, you know, into actual stock now. Nice. Well, that's 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 good to hear. I, and for the record, Johnny's Vanguard portfolio has outperformed mine because he's much heavier in stocks. I've since reallocated a lot of my portfolio, especially since we started the podcast. And then about halfway through, I kind of redid it. And then uh, about 20 episodes ago, I kind of redid it again. And finally, in a place where I'm, I'm definitely comfortable with it. And again, going back to the Dan Egan episode, the best portfolio that you can have is the one you can hold. Yep, definitely agree. Uh, so the only other thing I put a lot of money in was my Fundrise account. Uh, I went from having, I think, I think I started with seven grand, put in three to ten, then I doubled it to twenty, then I had another ten last December. It was at thirty. And a few months ago, I put in another 20 grand. So now I'm at 50 grand in Fundrise, in the E-REITs. Mm-hmm. I'm just excited about that. I want to have some money diversified into real estate. And then I have uh, my PPR notes. Yeah. Which... A lot of questions about this one in the Boss Lounge. And I actually have a call with them set up tomorrow. So I would love to give more information on PPR notes, but I don't have any. <laughs> Literally, there's no dashboard. They're still working on a login. Yeah. So there's no way to even see my account, but all I know is I get you know a couple hundred bucks a month from him, mm-hmm. a quarter maybe, and you know I, so I guess my money's just sitting in there, you know, just earning money. But that comes out to like 
Thir- 12, 13%, right? Yeah, it's 13%. So I liked it a lot. It's a lot. If anything, <laughs> yeah. I would have, I would have put more money in. Uh, but it's weird not having any control, not being able to look at a dashboard. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there's so many funds out there, right? So PPR seems to be kind of in the middle between something that's fully tech oriented, like a van, uh, like a, a wealth front style thing and something that's totally non-tech related. Like, let's say this, uh, mobile home park fund that we had on last episode with Jefferson and Lily. We probably have zero login or anything. You just get a paycheck. PBR is like sort of in between, but maybe on the the left side. Uh, but it's it's interesting for people like us that we have like super high tech accounts, and then we invest things where literally you just get a paycheck each month, and there's no online reporting, and there's no dashboards. It's it feels like it it doesn't make sense, but actually that's been the standard way of things until just the last couple of years when things got super uh, user interface correlated and. It seems good. You vetted it a lot. We had on PPR uh, onto the show and we talked about it as a very, very well-received episode on Notes 101. I have a call with them tomorrow. I just want to ask some more questions about how they can achieve that 12% in the note fund. And um, I know they've, they've never missed a payment, but it's something I'm considering. And it's good to hear that you've at least had consistent payments since you've been in. Yeah. And actually, honestly, it was kind of even hard to find because I don't even think they... Uh... They pay you under – actually, I guess it, maybe it was under PPR notes, but it was just kind of like this random thing that they paid me under. Mm-hmm. And actually, as we were talking, I just realized uh, I have another investment that I didn't have on this list. Yeah, this happens every episode. How much money? Fifteen grand, Dude, so you, you just covered your taxes probably. <laughs> so my total net worth is just increased by 15000 What was it? What did you forget? It was AHP Fund. American Homeowners Pre- Preservation Fund. So I never heard of this one I before. Know. So I actually just bought this uh, about a month or two ago. And actually, it was thanks to someone in the Boss Lounge. Okay. So we had talked about PPR notes. And I said, oh, I wish I would have put more money into PPR notes. Mm. But it sucks they don't have a dashboard. And somebody in the lounge, I, I, I wish I remembered who it was. But shout out if you know who you are. He said... Uh, he's also looking into American homeowner oh, I preservation. That. Yeah, I remember that post. And I think it was because this one, you don't have to be accredited. Okay. And I know there's a lot of listeners here who hate the fact that they're not accredited yet. This is one of those great funds, investments that you don't have to be accredited. So I put 15 grand in and it's actually a really good cause too. So basically what these guys do is they buy homes that are uh, going to be foreclosed and they basically, you know, give people a chance to pay off, pay mm-hmm. off the mortgage. So instead of like foreclosing, I think it, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's it's a type of impact investing where their goal is to keep people keep people's homes from being foreclosed. Mm-hmm. And you know, it works because it's not just like a charity; you're not just like giving them money, but the you're getting a good return. I think around ten or twelve percent, uh, and they are keeping people homes from for, for closing, which is okay. nice. Well, most important thing is you just found an extra fifteen thousand, so you can stop <laughs> asking me for free dinners and wines while we're on this little voyage <laughs> in southern Spain. I do appreciate the uh, the free dinners and wine, sir. We're we're we're, we're splitting everything. Johnny's good. Johnny's a good guy. Always uh, always ponying up. Not as much of a wine drinker as me. I'm at about <laughs> about a bottle a day. He's at a cup at best, but um, we enjoy the same things. 
been yeah. a lot of fun. It, it's, it's been great. And you know what? Honestly, it's, it's so fun because I honestly, I think when I had like a normal job, mm-hmm. if I had 15 grand, I would go out and buy something with it. Mm-hmm. Actually, first off, I never had 15 grand, but let's right. say I had like $150 or right. if I had, let's say 1,500 more yeah. realistically, I would say, Oh, I have $1,500 extra in the bank. What should I do with it? And I guarantee you, I would shop for something. Yeah. I would think, Oh, I need to buy a new you know, piece of furniture. Uh, I need to get new rims for my car. I need to get new clothes, whatever it is. I would spend it on something because it just kind of was, what was that phrase when like money's burning a hole in your pocket? And you just need to spend it. Consumerism in a USA? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. It right? really is true. But yeah. now, the only things I buy are assets. Mm. <laughs> so I get just as excited, you know, spending a few hours researching like AHP fun and like what it's about, reading reviews about it and just like picturing it in my life. It's kind of just like I would, you know, a piece of furniture or you know, a new piece of electronics. Yeah. But now, Instead of having that money kind of just go into a liability that's gone, looking to buying a car, now I'm buying assets, and that that money is not only preserved, but it's actually making me more money. We're re- it's really hard to put off joy and sensation and stimulation today for infinitely more in a decade. We're having this conversation. We have uh, one of my good friends, Damo, who was uh, my right hand man at SkySig back in the day. Uh, we've recently become, or since then, become excellent friends do something every year together. And we're talking about this stuff and the power of compounding interest actually at dinner tonight. And it's like, it's easy to have an extra 10K at the end of the year and be like, you know what, I'm gonna take a couple trips and do all this. But if you invested that 10K plus say a 500 or $1,000 every single month for the next decade, you're gonna gonna be able to (laughs) blow a lot more money then, but people will have a lot of trouble committing to that. Um, That's for another episode, but I thought it was an interesting tie in just because it was dinner conversation tonight. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's cool because it still feels like I'm spending money on something. Sure. And at the end of the day, I have no more money left in the account. I'm like, oh, great. I bought something. Mm-hmm. But now it's paying this, you know, $15,000 investment is now paying me $150 a month, which is $150 extra in passive income. And that all adds up. No, that is actually, um, let's see, that's about seven bottles of wine a month. In Spain. Yeah. No, that's like in the, even the USA here, it's probably 30 bottles of wine. Oh my God. You can't really spend more than $5 a bottle of wine here, at least not the supermarket. Yeah. Sam's tried. So what else? Anything else before I go into some depressing things and also oh, some no, really, really exciting things? No, oh, it's man. not that bad. This has, of course, been a pretty good quarter. No, this is, I mean, it's, it's honestly been pretty easy. Um, last part, the thing, honestly, I don't even care about anymore. The cryptocurrencies are all down, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of expected. <laughs> um, actually, I think it actually jumped up for a bit. Actually, no, 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 sorry, it's up. I think my total crypto uh, assets are. I have to take a look, but it's it's up by a bit. But what it is is, it's money that I try to forget about. I think actually the best thing you can do is own one Bitcoin if you if it's less than let's say 5% of your total net worth. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about this a lot in the episode, so if you're really interested, listen to one of those. But basically, my advice to everyone is take 5% of your total net worth by up to one Bitcoin and then forget you own it, but don't lose access to it. And just think, consider it lost, consider it gone. But if it happens to go up a lot in the future, you will at least, have, you will at least be participating. Man, that was a quite a crypto craze that we were in the last year. Mm. If you, it's funny if you go back and listen to our episodes. Every time we record an episode, we're like, "Man, 
in a week, this episode is going to be outdated and is exactly what happened. The opinions, the strategies, they were ever changing. And where we're at today is at least a less stimulating level where we're not checking it, the price every single day. But very interesting period that we went through. Cryptocurrencies in some way, some fashion are going to be part of the future, whether they're government backed or corporate backed somehow, some way they're going to be part of the future. Blockchain be part of the future. And we'll keep doing episodes on it as things become relevant. But for now, it's cool. <laughs> it's at yeah. least cool because that shit got crazy for a while. Yeah. And honestly, I'm really glad that the hype's kind of died down. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, there's still people working on it. There's still people who are very like vested. But I yeah. think the excitement, like the ICO, you know, excitement has died down, which is good. I think the, you know, crazy aunts asking you, you know, you can help them buy a Bitcoin during, mm-hmm. you know, Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, that's died down. Yeah. So whatever happens with crypto, the future of it, you know, I hopefully it's going to be a good part of kind of making life easier, society easier. But I'm happy that people aren't just like throwing money at it just because I, I guarantee you a lot of people have already lost money from it. They sure. just don't talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I can still remember selling one as it crossed 10,000 and buying the bottle of wine that I've always wanted to buy. In Hong Kong, while overlooking the skyline, it was like, oh, I'm just maximizing the joy of this crypto bubble that we're in. But felt good. Felt good to be part of it. Felt good to profit on it. Also lost a lot of money in it, but not because of a bad trade, because of a bad storage method and bad security method. I had money in Mt. Gox, yeah. lost 30 Bitcoins, but still ultimately profit off it. So yeah, there, yeah. I think got lucky. It was great. Um, got early. Got, you got an early. Ching, ching. And that is really it for me. Uh, sorry if I was a bit slow this episode. This wine does, is not, does slows not treat. Slows Johnny down. It really a, slows me it, down. It put brakes on the truck. This is why I don't <laughs> drink. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm stimulated on the vino. It has a counter effect on me. I'll blow through mine and then we'll come back and maybe talk about some key points. So again, not to touch on every single one of the investments, but um, few few interesting ones. So typically if the market is up or stable, a lot of my investments are correlated but what i've been trying to do over the last quarter is start continuing to build on my non-correlated assets like that was a big takeaway of the of uh, the yield street episode with millen who's the ceo of yield street yield street's actually people dog it because it's really hard to get in but i think that their process of paying out monthly and direct to a bank is really really likable by a lot of people because it feels like you got paid I was just in Barcelona last month with a guy I did business with. And he was like, dude, I saw your investments with Yield Street. And he's like, I'm trying to figure out the, all my investments are like to correlate to the stock market or get paid out quarterly into a, into back into the fund. Uh, so he jumped in some of these Yield Street investments because it pays out monthly to your bank and it feels like you got paid. So I know that's been a big hit with a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of platforms start modeling after that. I, I agree. I love your street. Yeah. My only regret is not putting more money in with them. Oof. Well, I'm sure they'd be happy to take more of your money if you can get in. No, they're not happy to because like there's no there's no open open offerings. Mm. Um, One just opened up today. It was on. Um, oh, you know what? Short term yeah. small business financing. Yeah, my buddy. Thirteen percent annual interest, sixteen month term, twenty grand minimum investment. Yeah, I actually looked. Is it still open? Uh, I think it is actually. So I looked at that and I was going to do it, but I want to, I realized that it's something that I would always do. 
but my strategy is right now to build up a cash position. And if I continue to do this stuff, I'm, I'm just not sticking to the strategy. Right. Cause that was a good, I think that was a really good one. I think my buddy put in 50 K. So I think this one just opened like literally as I'm logging in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have to take a look at it more, but highly recommend checking out Yield Treat. And I like, I really like the, or, I don't even know what it's called, the um, liability or the legal, legal financing. The legal financing. Yeah. It's basically a fund that buys up a bunch of, or actually pays out a bunch of people who mm-hmm. you know are going to be old money in the next three years. Gives them yeah. pre-settlement diversification law settlement or something. Yeah. If there's a different company that does that besides Geo Street, let us know in the last boss lounge or in the comments because I would love to do more of those deals. Yeah. So just another quick point on the Yield Street is they my first fund that was a real estate fund with them was completed every payment on time. And then the principal was returned on time, which I thought was was really cool because that was the first fund, alternative fund that we've invested in that I actually got the principal back on time. Not that other ones have not. It's just that the the terms have been a lot longer, like fundrise, the terms maybe five, six years. Mm-hmm. This term for Yield Street was 12 months. Got paid back on time. So all in all, very happy with it so far and looking to do more of them. Okay, nice. What else you got? All right, municipal bonds. Been a big discussion in the Boss Lounge, primarily because someone called it out that those things have got hammered, right? And that was one of the funds that I was really, or municipal bonds as an asset class, was something that if you listen to the last quarter of the updates, I was really keen on continuing to build on because 5% tax-free feels really good for me. But these things got hammered over the last quarter or even the last two quarters. They were down like 10%. And I didn't understand why these municipal bond funds were down 10%. It seems like a conservative asset class. After they started getting hammered, people in Boss Lounge started talking about them. I, of course, started looking into them and came to understand the asset class a lot more that these things are levered, which means uh, instead of a typical municipal bond fund, uh, they're, they're using leverage, which means in a, you know, when, when things are good, they yield a lot more. And when things are bad, then the stock price is going to get whacked. Uh, so I put a freeze on investing in them. Since then, I'm happy to say they bounced back quite a bit. Instead of being down 10%, they're down about five and they seem to be going in the right direction. But they're, man, they yield every single month tax-free it goes straight into my E-Trade account, straight into my bank account. Still a really big fan of them. I understand them a lot more. I've looked at long-term charts, talked talk to some really senior people, and they're like, hey, if you're in these things long-term, you have to understand that you're, they're going to go in these big swings, especially if you're in these lever, levered uh, CEFs. So here's a question. So let's say you have 100 grand worth mm-hmm. and it drops down you know, 10% to 90 grand. Are you now making only 5% on the 90 grand or are you still making 5% on the 100 grand? You're making 5% on the, on the 100 grand. You're making 5% on, you're making the yield as of when you bought it. Now that yield could fluctuate depending on how the, 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 the bonds are performing. But as long as, you know, it's really, it's a paper gain or a paper loss. So as long as you don't sell it, of course, you're not, you're not losing. My fear was like, how low can these go? Can these things go down 50%? Cause I just, I've never studied the asset mm-hmm. class. Uh, but I've, I've learned a lot about them since. I'm not concerned about them. I think going forward, Municipal bonds will continue to be a big part of my portfolio. But what I will do going forward is I will open an account to buy the individual issues just because psychologically you're not going to worry about the price of the actual bond. You buy a bond, municipal bond, it's going to be 10 years. You're going to hold it for 10 years. You're going to get that yield. The default rate's like less than 1%. And 
even if they default, you're not losing a hundred percent. You're losing like, you know, 20 cents on the dollar or something. So it's a, it's a different strategy for different people. It's an, it's an interesting asset class cause it's, it's something of more high net worth people. Uh, so we're still starting to get to learn that asset class from more experienced people. Okay. I, I like it. And if anything, it sounds like if it's anything like index funds or stocks, maybe it actually would have been good to continue buying them as it dropped down to 10%. It would have been. It would have been. because. The, but back to your original question, if you put in 100K and it drops down to, uh, it drops down to say, from 10 a share to 9, are you still making the same yield? The answer is yes. But if you buy it at 9 instead of 10, you're making more. So if I had bought them at the low, I would have been making more like a, a 6, 6.5% yield. That sounds like that would have been the play. Tax-free, bro. Tax-free dollars. Love that. So talk about not tax-free. My maple tree, Singapore REITs, one of my most interesting investments just because of the way I got into them. If you guys want to hear more about that, previous episodes, we'll leave the links. Again, another someone in the Boss Lounge pointed out, hey, how are these treated tax-wise? It's a PFIC, nasty little thing called a PFIC, which is a passive foreign investment corporation, a nasty, nasty little bug that is treated for American citizens. And what that means is these things are treated, basically, you pay ordinary income tax on unrealized gains. So let's say it basically these REITs are a stock. They trade at, say, 120. If that stock goes up to 140 and you still hold it, you owe ordinary income tax on that gain, whether you sell it or not. That's insane. It's nasty. So what happened uh, at the turn of the year is these things skyrocketed. I'm like, damn, I'm making crazy money in this fund. Well, I had to pay ordinary income tax on the gains. And then as soon as interest rate hike came, they went blistering down. What happens to me? Nothing, right? I still pay tax on the way up. I get nothing on the way down. Of course, at the end of the year, if they're still down, I'll get a tax return. But it's the most unfriendly taxing you could possibly be in. So my plan is as soon as they go back up, even though I love these, like I love them as an asset. I just don't like the way they're treated by the IRS. Once they go back up, I'll sell them. I'll get out. Um, it's unfortunate because I really, really like these things. They yield well, like 7% cash to my bank account, but it's just, it's too much. It's not worth it's it. It's not worth it. So imagine this. Um, probably the easy, easiest way to explain that is imagine your house increases in value. Yeah. <laughs> The ta- and the government starts taxing you on that increase in value, even though you don't sell the house. That is insane. Dude, that is the perfect example. And imagine that tax is ordinary tax. Ordinary income. So like it's 40%. not capital gains like a typical house yeah. would be if you hold it more yeah. than a year. So imagine if you bought your house for right. 300000 Now, because it's appreciated, Zillow is saying it's worth 500000 mm-hmm. And the government's like, okay... It looks like your house is worth two hundred grand more. Give me forty percent of two hundred grand. Give me eighty thousand dollars. This right now. Yeah. I, you're like, but sir, I didn't even sell the right, house. Right. Too bad. <laughs> and of course, the I didn't know about this when I bought these things. I I went was doing an Asia trip, and Muddy was telling me about these maple leaf reeds. They yield seven percent, and you can only get access to them if you go to Singapore and set up an account. So I flew down to Singapore. I thought I was a big boss. Set up an account, get these things. Of course, I didn't know that you can make 7% in a normal property fund like PPR. You make 12%. <laughs> all part of the ignorance and part of the reason that we're doing this podcast. Oh, crap. But, man. I think I just lost $43,000 on an accounting error. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I just took a look. Oh, my God. Can't be. So, oh, please. Please, I didn't. So, basically, I'm, I'm going to show Sam real quick before I... 
I Should actually I give you the last couple one because oh my god, this could be wait, really wait. bad. So you see, my top row mm-hmm. shows the dates, like April 2018. It looks like on this new one, it doesn't say April 2018. I wrote in 2018 minus zero four for April or July, but hopefully my formula doesn't count the top. So let's see if it starts from row two or row one. Please let it be row two. I can't see. Thank God it's row two. Okay, so you're okay. Because <laughs> that could have been a big life changing moment right now on this. That episode. would have been literally a forty five thousand dollar mistake. Luckily, it's just a ledger error, which can happen. So oh fuck! Get a good CPA. Okay, don't worry about the stuff. Yeah, this is why you guys shouldn't do your accounting on a spreadsheet, especially after two bottles of wine. Sure, absolutely. Okay. If you're good like me, you do all your best work after oh, a bottle of wine. Oh god, that freaked me out. Okay, all right. What's next? So Vanguard Wealthfront is pretty uh, self-explanatory because the market has been mostly flat for the last quarter. I will say that I got a I got a bone to pick with Wealthfront, big bone. So Wealthfront, two things. First is we had on Andy Rockliffe, the CEO, onto this podcast. Excellent episode, and I asked them a very specific question and said, "You guys got to be one of the biggest buyers of these index funds that you're getting into, like." Vanguard's S&P, et cetera, right? They're managing how many billions? Mm-hmm. Probably at least 10 billion now. And he said, no, I go, would you ever just create these index funds yourself? Why use Vanguard? You could create like a wealth front index, right? He said, mm-hmm. well, we could, but why not just leave it up to the professionals at Vanguard? They already charge a super low interest rate and, or sorry, a super low fee. So just leave it up to the experts and we'll just do what we do best. Well, guess what they've done? What? They've since created their Wealthfront funds and they've replaced some of Vanguard's funds with their own funds. So first off, I want a commission from Andy and Wealthfront Uh for my advice that they obviously took. I mean, seriously. That's actually pretty smart that they did that. Yeah. And, but he answered it on the, on the podcast saying, no, we never really never considered that. Why wouldn't we just leave it up extra? Now they've done it. So then they introduced this risk parity fund into my, I'm at a, a risk eight level. You're a risk ten. I don't know yeah. if you noticed this. They introduced this risk parity fund that's now like twenty percent of my portfolio. Yeah. They introduced it with a expense ratio of fifty basis points. Fifty basis points, where all the other funds were like 0.3, 0.5, That's insane. One. Yeah. And I think so. The only reason I realized this because sent out an email to everyone saying like, "Sorry, we screwed up. We've cut the fees in half." Because I'm sure they introduced it. Everyone called on and they they ripped them up, right? Yeah. So they cut it in half to 0.25. Anyways, Wealthfront has this quarter significantly under, underperformed. I mean, my, my account's down significantly compared to last quarter while the market's basically stable. And the only the only fund in my Wealthfront allocation that's down is this risk parity fund, which is down mm. like 3%. I'm pissed. So the risk parity, is that a way to like kind of balance that risk? Like what's actually in this fund? Risk parity... Uh, I, I know we covered the Meb Faber episode. I don't actually know what's in it. Is it like bonds or is it something else? I want to say it might be trend following of some sort. Okay. Uh, but it, it's it's obviously a hedge against yeah. You know, I guess the S and P or or big swings. But it hasn't performed well, and my account hasn't performed well. So there's there's two things that I'm pissed about. I'm pissed that they did that, and I'm also pissed that they introduced their own funds with higher expense ratios to what they already had in there. Um, and and that we had them on the episode not too long or on the podcast not too long ago eight or nine months ago we asked them coldly like 
is will this you ever do this? Doing? And they said no. So a little bone to pick there. As anyone that's been following a podcast for a while, I've, I've always been pretty bullish on Wealthfront. I think it makes, I think robo advisors make a lot of sense for a lot of people, but I didn't like that move. And while we're on the topic of things that I didn't like this, this quarter, Fundrise. Mm-hmm. So I got a pretty decent allocation in Fundrise. Wait, wait, before we get yeah. there, I just logged into my Wealthfront account. Uh-huh. It doesn't look like I'm using, I've switched over to their, to their funds. It looks, I'm, under my U.S. stocks, uh-huh. I can see how they can sneak sneak it in because it doesn't actually say what um, it doesn't say from a like a first glance what you're invested in. Mm-hmm. It just says asset class, U.S. stocks, foreign stocks, emerging markets. I have to click into U.S. stocks to see what I'm actually invested in, and it looks like I'm investing in VTI in Vanguard. That's interesting. Let me pull up my allocation. All right, well, I'll get that loaded. Um, yeah, it's it's like the wealth con- Wealthfront 500 fund, mm-hmm. and then they have the Risk Parity Fund, which is also theirs. Anyways, let's just share screenshots in the episode show notes. But I don't know. Maybe maybe for some reason they didn't put yours in because the accounts are different levels. I have no idea. So maybe what it is is because my risk score is higher, so I don't have this uh, parity fund. Or the other thing I could think of is, did you put money in recently? No. No, we put money so in about the same time. They so they they changed your fund. I don't know. I that, can't even log in this stupid website. Stupid. All right. Well, I can't see my funds. Maybe it's blocked in Spain. Anyways, let's let's share screenshots. But yeah, they 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 made a bunch of changes. My account did not perform as well as it did previously. I got higher expense ratios in some of the funds. It's like bait and switch. And this is this is something that I think is happening with a lot of platforms right now, especially these alternative platforms. Mm-hmm. You got companies that had an amazing product to start. They take on investors. They potentially go public. They have shareholder obligations to continue to raise value in that company. They continue to squeeze investors, supply whoever you know, originators, whoever is involved for more and more. So I think we're seeing a lot of like, look what happened to Lending Club. Yeah, I mean, perfect example. I think even Pure Street returns are starting to go down slightly, mm. uh, even though I think they still have a great product. Yield Street, what's going to happen? You know, they just raised a massive Series A. Uh, Fundrise returns are going down. It mm. seems like it's consistent across all these platforms. Once they reach a certain level and have a certain amount of investment in shareholders, they have they have to continue to increase value for shareholders right yeah and i mean it's unfortunate but i think that's kind of how it is is in the beginning they keep you know things great to acquire new customers so they're not really making any money they you know kind of pay you out a little bit more it's kind of like the same as you know when you sign on like when uh when uber comes to new market they Mm -hmm. pay their drivers a lot more and then eventually they kind of cut that down yeah just you know after like people kind of signed up already so it is, you know, kind of marketing dollars. It sucks. The good news for us is we're always finding new platforms yeah. and we're kind of jumping on, taking advantage of the extra few percent, locking ourselves in for a year or two. And that normally doesn't change. So I'm actually, I would be really surprised if Relfunt somehow moved your cash from a Vanguard account into a their own account because mm-hmm. that actually seems like it'd be more hassle than it's worth. Maybe like it'd be fine for kind of new money. I could see that like that working for them. Maybe for lower fees or mm-hmm. you know, just so they can make their investors happy. But it doesn't actually even make sense to move old money. It almost seems like it would cost more, you know, more for them. So 
I'm curious if any of you guys have any experience with that, go to the Boss Lounge, let us know in there. Yeah, look, I just put, I finally got into my Wealthfront account. 20% of my portfolio is in the Wealthfront 500 with Smart Beta. Look at this. See that? That That's replaced the Vanguard S&P 500 fund or, or, or its complement anyways. All right, I don't want to spend too much time on Wealthfront because it's like sort of boring, but... So Fundrise, okay, Fundrise, again, something we've been happy with. What I don't like that they've been doing, and we mentioned this again in, in Boss Lounge, is they seem to be creating their own market by by selling and acquiring properties from in between their funds. So I, I'm, I have like three funds with them, four maybe four funds, four funds. There's, I get a notice from one fund that an email saying, like, this property has been acquired for a 22% gain. And then I see that it's been acquired by the other fund that I'm in. So my other fund acquired mm. this property, right? So in a sense, they're making their own market. I don't know I don't know what's legal about that, but it seems like there's a lot of room to manipulate asset prices and their fund performance doing that. So I'm not blowing the whistle yet, but it seems like it's something that is a little uncomfortable, right? The other thing is their quarterly updates for this or the quarterly returns for the last two quarters have been down. Uh, and I would say they're down pretty significant. So the highest quarter I had, my returns were like six or 5,800. The last two quarters have been 39. So it's nothing that like you jump out of your seat and like, Hey, well, what's going on here? But if you think about it on a percentage basis, that's like 20%. So again, if there's other listeners that have experienced the same thing, which I'm sure anyone's invested in Fundrise and those funds, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Uh, I'd be curious what's happening there because I, I don't know. In- interest rates are up, so you'd think the income fund should be doing slightly better. Uh, the growth fund maybe slightly worse. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're reinvesting something. I haven't cared enough to reach out to them, but I don't like the trend. It's been mm-hmm. two two quarters consecutively. Maybe they're taking ca- they're holding cash, yeah, because um, they seem to be a little bearish on the market. Mm-hmm. But again, it's two things for both companies that I haven't liked this quarter. When things are good, I always make sure I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I sing their praises, but got to be fair to the listeners and fair to the companies. Like there's two things on both of those that I'm not super happy with this quarter. I think that's why it's it's so nice that we do these quarterly updates so mm-hmm. people can see, can see how our investments are actually doing because when we first hear about, you know, uh, Fundrise or any of these companies, mm-hmm. Wealthfront, we have, you know, I think we had the CEO of both, um, of both companies on the show. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it's new. Everyone's excited. You know, um, interest high is, is high. So we're, we're excited. We invest. We talk them up. And then we actually put our money where our mouth is. And I think that's what makes this show very different than a lot of other sh- investing shows is we actually <laughs> talk about – we actually invest in, in what we talk about. And then we talk about how it's going. And these Q, the quarterly updates, we're not going to be polite. Like even yeah. though, you know – We've spoken to the the CEOs of these companies, and they're like you know nice people. We'd be happy to grab a beer with them if they're in town. But if our funds are down, that is our money <laughs> that is right. down. Yeah. So we're not going to be nice. So this is what's so great about uh, these these updates, and I think this this is why a lot of people love it. Love it. Okay, cryptos. Not going to talk about. <laughs> we've uh, discussed them so many times. It's not as interesting right now. Maybe it'll ramp up soon again. We both have pretty solid positions in crypto still. Putting them on the back burner for now. And we'll see what happens this quarter. Still a lot of interesting things happening with ICOs and blockchains. And we'll have some episodes coming up on those in the next quarter. Landing Club, not much to talk about. Always a dog. 
losing money in my three-year experiment. Glad we did it, but something seriously effed with Lending Club. Uh, when you get into a basket of B, <laughs> B grade in, uh, loans that historically yield five, or I'm um, sorry, eight percent, and my account's gone negative. Something seriously wrong. Gets worse each month. Nothing but bad things to say there. But wait, again, wait, wait. Do you think we should just sell the, our lending club positions on like secondary market and take a loss? So I have only have like ten thousand left of the fifty. It's not. I don't think it's worth the time. Uh, I'm expecting to get like maybe nine of that ten back. <laughs> And as soon as money comes in, I immediately withdraw it. So I'm, I'm kind of more interested to see how the account ends at this point. It's not going to be, it's not going to be, you know, the end of the world, and it's also not going to be any better. But uh, I'd like to just report on the full wind up of what happens after the account's dry. <laughs> so you'd yeah. rather potentially lose nine or ten grand. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully, like you get it all. But just so you could talk crap about any club for the rest of your life. I really like having an investment just to talk shit about every single week, really, (laughs) with whoever it is. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the stuff that we've invested in has done well. Again, it's been a good market. But I think uh, for individuals, access to a lot of new investments has has never been easier. And we've, we've picked some good ones. But this is not a good one. And it's good to have that in the bunch of things that we talk about. So that's one. Um. A couple other things in my portfolio, annuities, not something that everyone's super interested in. But again, I probably give more praise to the annuity world than anyone because for me, as my as part of my portfolio, it helps me sleep. These things click along at about 4%. They compound monthly. It's tax deferred, which means I can hold them and grow them until retirement when I want to annuitize them. And I'll never have to pay taxes until that, that day happens. It's safer than a bank. I'm very happy with it. I get a statement at the end of the year that says you've gained 4%. Here's your, your ending balance. Would you like to, to roll it over? I'm super happy with these. I've never said a bad thing about them. And for you know every person that told me it's ridiculous that I would do that, I just look at them and say, it, it makes me comfortable. Yeah, yeah you're I'm in a different situation. Yeah. So love these things. They're also credited, protected in the state of Florida. Um so again, 20% of my portfolio is in these things and I love seeing the statement at the end of the year and I love more than anything not thinking about them until that date. I love it. Yeah. All right. What else do you have? Okay. Uh, SC Storage, another about 20% of my overall portfolio, 380 self-storage units with my man, Kevin Shea, the master, the one, the myth, the legend, the biggest self-storage man in Hong Kong, one of my favorite countries. Definitely my best investment. Like this thing cash flows. It's my monthly paycheck. It's enough for me to live off of. I feel like it's in excellent hands. The property, aside from the cash flow, the property price it and the, has appreciated almost 60%. Wow. Nice. So whenever we sell these, if we decide to sell them, I mean, it's 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 big time money. So how's this tax? Is it similar to the maple tree reads or is it, is it better? It's, it's like property. So it's pretty efficient because we can depreciate a lot of it. We can write off, you know, I have a couple of trips to Hong Kong each year to meet Kevin, talk business, do business. So eat some noodles. Emirates <laughs> flights are written off. Um, there's just a lot of depreciable things. So it's, it's, it's not even in the same ballpark is the P maple tree stuff. Um, and it's it's great. It's tangible. I go there. I can touch it. I can feel it. I can visit it. <laughs> you can put some stuff in the storage. It's great, dude. It, they're, so they're ninety five percent occupied. If we lose five percent of the people, it doesn't make a dent in the cash flow. If the, the world goes into recession, 
there's not going to be any less demand for these things. And if the economy keeps booming, there's not going to be any less demand for them. I can't imagine anything better than self-storage in the, as a property asset. I'm super glad that I did it. And I hope that we can keep these things for a long time because it's, it's gold. Have you thought about looking for something like that in the U.S.? I've taken a quick look and I've spoken to people that are not necessarily self-storage people, but general property investors in the U.S. And they said it's an incredibly saturated market. So yields are more like 3% versus 7 8% like I'm getting in Hong Kong. Um, I just like, I love having property in Hong Kong. It's such a good conversation piece for international business people versus owning self-storage in like Wisconsin. Um, so I, I love it. I would highly recommend it as an asset Asset class, I think mobile home parks is probably an interesting comparable. But I would say self storage, mobile home parks, something you know, multi 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 family or um, several unit condominium types, but something that's a little bit more redundant cash flow in case a couple of the tenants leave. We talk about this again, but uh, so that's good. And then one that we always touch on, but haven't not yet on this episode, Art of FX, man. Good performance again, consistent 4% this quarter. That's 8% on the year. What else is 8% on the year? Yeah, and that's half the year. So if it continues, it's 16%. Yeah. So Johnny and I were talking about this at dinner tonight. We were talking about compounding interest and how it's it's an amazing thing, but it's hard to see when you're only making 5% a year. So Art of FX has been the best example of compounding interest I've ever seen because it's making 20% a year. And over the course of three years, you really start to see that. So my account started with like 100K. It's now up over 200K. And if you start thinking about 200K compounding at 20% and then what that can be in five years, and if that if that account ever becomes a million dollars compounding at 20%, if they, if they could keep that up, yeah. I mean, that becomes a ton of money. And then if you think of that compounds to 1.2, 1.4, 1.6, that money starts compounding like crazy, right? And that's when you get this really snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and there's a lot of speculation, like how can you make 20%? How can you make 20%? There's a lot of people that make 20%, it, but you're not going to get it in the in the open market. You're not going to get it investing in the S&P 500 over the long course, right? But there's a lot of good active managers that get 20%. It's a matter of finding them and getting in with them, allowing them to invest your money, right? Yeah, and also just allowing them to you know risk your money a bit because yeah. this is definitely still one of our riskier investments. Mm-hmm. But you know, I trust these guys. They're smart. They know what they're doing. And they have a lot of their own money in it as well. Yeah. And I'm okay with the risk, knowing, hey, there's a big potential risk, but the returns are equally as big. Yeah, I love it. It's it's a non-correlated asset, which we've gotten big on. Ray Dalio says, the holy grail of investing is 15 non-correlated assets. This is definitely one. And if you actually look at the returns, so I've been investing with Art of FX a little bit longer than you, Johnny. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the 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 chart over the last however, two, three years long, it's actually smoothed out a lot. So mm-hmm. I think they've really changed their trading strategy from short-term, highly leveraged to a little bit longer-term, less leveraged. And I guess I kind of like that. The returns have gone down. So they used to be like, for two years, it was 24% a year. Now I think it's probably aiming to be closer to 16%. But I know for a lot of investors, that's a happier place to be. They'll take a little bit less drawdown for a little bit smoother ride up. Yeah, I've noticed that. So 2016, my total, I guess, gain was 29%, which is insane. Mm. Uh, but I got in kind of halfway through the year. So that second half was 29% at least on average. 2017, it was down to 20%, which is still amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's still like twice as good as the, my other best ones. Uh-huh. 
2018 so far is 8.73%. So that stays on track. That'll be oh, 17%, which will, yeah. which will still be good. But I do see the trend of it slowly going smoother and not, you know, as up and down. Here's the thing we talked about, like, what are we going to do with these accounts? Yeah. What are you going to do with your account? <laughs> uh, my original plan, to be honest, was to let it ride for the three-year lock-in or however long it was, and then take out the initial ten grand and just let the other, the rest of it ride. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> because I don't really have anything to do with the other. Okay, if I if I needed the money for something, mm-hmm. if I was going to buy a house or I needed it, you know, for something, then I would stick with that plan. I would take yeah. it out after, you know, as soon as I could after the initial lock-up, and then leave the rest in to ride. I'm probably just going to leave it in just because, like, I can't find any other non-correlated assets that I want to have my money in right now. Yeah. It's the allure of the compounding interest at this next level each year that it continues to grow to is just too attractive to say I'm going to pull a third out mm. and, and and reinvest it somewhere else or put it in cash. But the rational thing to work. do would would be to pull out the initial investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see. Let's Let's make a decision at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Last couple of investments before we get into non-investment stuff is... The fun travel stuff. Yeah, man. The, well, this is kind of travel correlated. One of my properties in Thailand, in Phuket, it's in a resort style place. They're called, they sell them as investment properties. So you buy a, a condo, you can use it, say, two, three weeks a year. The rest of the year, they rent it out as a hotel. Two years went by. It was horrible. I thought it was going to not be a scam, but basically a ripoff. They finally got their shit together, cash flowing beautifully. Like it's it's really good. And I, and to make things better, I went down at the end of uh, last year and visited it. Was able to enjoy two weeks there completely free. And the rest of the time I'm there, it's cash flowing. It's being rented out. So it's I'm I'm super happy with it. I, I didn't think it was going to get there, but it's been it's been great. <laughs> good. So how much is it cash flowing now? All right, the property was 150000 I was one of the first buyer. I was the first buyer in the building. Wow. Actually, funny story how it happened. I basically met the, the developer at a bar. I was wasted. Exactly how you're not supposed to do business. And it probably in nine out of 10 cases would become a mistake. It actually ended up work out well. So this the first year it lost money, which I was like, red lights flashing. This is something, something bad's going on. Went down, visited them, saw everything that was happening, a lot of reasons for the the bad performance. And they got it together. And, and this year, it generated 6000 um net. So 6000 to me, which is, it's not, it's like 4%, right? Still a lot of room to go, a lot of improvements to be made. So I'm expecting about 8% this year. Okay. 7 to 8%. Plus, I get to use it, um, and plus, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. It's, it's not like a, it's not like your own property or an Airbnb property. We have to answer things. You don't think about it the entire year. You just get a paycheck at the end of the year. It's almost like a timeshare that actually pays you. Yeah, I mean, dude, this is this is a unique opportunity to Thailand. I think because I've looked for these opportunities in other places. I think they have them, like you know, a lot of tourist destinations, but. Um, the only place I've seen them working again, limited experience here, but it's, it's working in Thailand. So I have another property that should be finished this year, same type of asset class. Uh, and it's pretty cool because whenever I saw these things, I was like, just, I thought these things were total scams, but it's good to see it working. And if there was these opportunities in other markets, I'd be very interested in doing them. I definitely like them, them in theory. I would say the biggest downside of them is having that you know two year period where you're not making money on it. Mm-hmm. So Taking 150 grand and putting it into something 
that's making basically zero or even negative for two years is going to be really hard for a lot of people to do. Sure. I would say investment-wise, I would only do it if you just really wanted that property for, for other reasons. Yeah, and it's a tough market in Thailand too because you can't you can't get loans or mortgages very easily, especially let's say in the case of being an American, you can't get an easy loan from a Thai bank and a US bank, it's very difficult to get a loan from unless you have like a securities back loan or something, but it's difficult. So you have to come up with the cash and that's a lot of people say Thailand's property markets in a bubble, but the truth is, is especially for foreign buyers, it's almost impossible to get loans. So it's all cash and people aren't going there and buying a home or a condo with their last $200,000. It's people that have that as disposable income. So, or disposable capital. So I, I don't know. I think it's it's an interesting market and we'll continue to report on it as it comes along. But that's it for my property. A uh, couple changes this last quarter. HSA, I started an HSA. That was a cool episode with Evan. Uh, we'll leave a link to that in show notes. Health savings account. So I set that up. Got a nice tax deduction of uh, $1,234 on spot. Already spent all that money <laughs> on a uh, little emergency room incident that happened in the first or last quarter. I think we talked about that on the last episode. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I made a startup investment in this company called Patient, which actually came out of that episode. And someone I'd done business with before reached out to me with a new company that are starting that actually tackled some of these health insurance problems. Oh, nice. I, I, I really like to hear that. Yeah. I, I really think that the healthcare industry in the U.S. needs to be disrupted. So hopefully someone jumps on that and hopefully it's patient. Yeah, hopefully. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a future episode. But that's pretty much it, man. It's been a good quarter in summary. Uh, a lot of things working, a lot of things doing okay, not too many things in the red, which is great. A lot of learning experiences and um, pretty stress-free quarter. I must say it's been good. It's I've, I've been happy and uh, and. I think a lot of that is just going into understanding our financial situation and what we're invested in, and that causes a lot less stress. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I think it's been a really fun ride. I think we were both really privileged and, and happy. I also think we both, you know, kind of just finally get to like relax a bit after mm-hmm. uh, working our butts off a few years ago. So, speaking of which, <laughs> what are we going to be doing? What what have we been up to travel wise? Okay, you want to talk about Kachitu quick? Like last three months? Travel? Yeah, sure. Go All ahead. Right. Mine started in Tahoe, one of my favorite places in the U.S. with what has now been three years in a row of skiing. Uh, Lake Tahoe. It's one of my, it's just an incredible place. It's absolute bliss. After that, went over to Napa. So from Tahoe to Napa is only about three hours. Drove out to Napa, hit some vineyards for a few days. You know me, Johnny. I love the vino. And then I got settled in Tampa, needed a home base, got set up, went to rooms to go, Bed Bath & Beyond, did the whole shopping, and home shopping and decorating experience. A $10,000 investment in furniture. Guys, this was not, not like splurging. This was just normal, buy a mattress, buy a bedroom set from rooms to go type of thing. But it adds up really quick. I probably spent $1,500 at Bed Bath & Beyond. Like it's crazy. Comforters. Duvet costs 250 bucks plus a comforter, $350 for a duvet, right? So this stuff adds up quick. That kind of sucked. I didn't like that at all. Like those two months, that was horrible dealing with those companies. So the coolest part of my quarter, I joined this club called Atlas 400 at the turn of the year. And I got to do our first event together, which was 
up in Virginia. They rented out this Virginia racetrack and they had the um, eight X Delta Force guys come to teach all these like, crazy <laughs> weapons classes, right? And then they had the ex-CIA driving instructor come teach it, uh, an offensive driving, defensive driving course. So that was like three, you know, three days, two nights of just dedicated training with these guys. Unbelievable once in a lifetime type of experience. Uh, and then I did the Columbia trip with Zach. We did an episode on that on financial freedom and what it means. And now I'm here, man. Southern France, Spain, hanging out with you. It's It's been a good quarter. So the funny thing is, I think when we talked in Q1, you said, I'm moving to Tampa I'm not traveling for six months or a year. I'm just going to stay put and, and relax. Mm. That definitely didn't happen. No, it almost turned me into an alcoholic because I felt like I was so bored. All I can do is drink wine. <laughs> like, No, all joking aside, Tampa has been good because I wanted to, I wanted to spend time with my family this last quarter. I've been abroad so much. It's been, It's really been like eight or nine years of selfishly driving towards financial goals, business goals, travel goals, all types of things that were self-serving. And I turned around and looked, I'm like, man, my grandma's like super old. My dog's super old. My parents are going through like a huge change in, um, you know, they need to sell their house and, and they're trying to retire and stuff. So I just wanted to go back and be close to all that. And I'm really happy I did because I went back to Tampa. I got to spend, my grandma passed away this quarter. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but I'm glad you got to spend some time with her. Well, that, and that was the whole goal, and I, I actually got to spend like, like her last like five minutes with her. Uh, I drove over; I knew it was it was coming, and I, you know, I, I spent the last five minutes with her. And like as I left, I got a text message saying, you know, she had passed. Wow! And I was like, wow! It it really was like it was like she wasn't really there when I was there, uh-huh. but it's almost like there's this 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 energy yeah. that you're connected. And it's like when I left, it was like she kind of released. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it was super meaningful to me. And it also meant a lot to me just to reflect on her life because she was, you know, she came from nothing and she was a self-starter entrepreneur when it was really difficult for a female in like 1930s, 1940s to be a businesswoman, right? And she like, she made it herself and she lived a very proud life. She decorated part of the, uh, she was an interior designer. She did a lot of like famous buildings in New York. She did um, part of the White House. And, but at the end of life, like, you know, you're, you're totally dependent on others. Yeah. Um, and you can't do so many of the things that you really enjoy doing, you know, when mm. you, when you have all your abilities and senses. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just made me realize, like, there's a lot of worries in life at any given time for anybody. I don't care if you're poor mm-hmm. or the richest person in the world, you have probably the same level of worries. And, and, just and different a, worries. Different worries. Yeah. Absolutely. And you sometimes you just got to release and like yeah. just go out and enjoy it be a good person um you know be respectful be a good person but go out and just enjoy it and try to release every now and then because at the end of life like all that you've worked for and all that you've become doesn't really matter anymore mm-hmm. like it's you, you can't take it with you and yeah. that was that was kind of interesting to see um so tampa's been good in that aspect to be okay. able to spend time with my family and you know sort of a um an important time and also, it makes me travel. It makes me enjoy so many things that we have in life. You know, some of our financial freedom, some of our our location independence. It really makes me enjoy it because I don't really enjoy being, you know, there uh, on a full time basis. Yeah. So I look forward to the other things more. Well, you know what? I'm really glad you went. I, I think that was a good call. Uh, highly recommended for anyone, you know, in this kind of similar situation to just say, oh, you know what? Let me 
subtle and forbid, but I think financially it is hard. I actually knew <laughs> even before you went that like the money that you're going to spend on the furniture, you know, luckily it wasn't, you know, you didn't like commit to anything too big. You didn't, mm-hmm. you didn't end up buying uh, the AMG Mercedes or anything. Yeah, it's close. Yeah. And so I'm glad you went through all that. Uh, for me, uh, I was, I think the last time we spoke, I started in Nepal for, for a month. That was rough, but, but a good. Then went on the Nomad Cruise, which is fun. Wrote a, uh, a big review on my johnnyfe.com about it. Then I spent a month in Bulgaria, this little ski village called Banksko. Cheap place to ski in the winter and a really cheap place to live and go to co-working Banksko to just kind of grind, put your head down. But it was so boring. I'm glad I left. Uh, I think it's okay if you go there like with an intention. But I... And it, and, and to be honest, when I was there, I, I was working all the time. I was working on the Nomad Summit. Mm-hmm. We did a lot. Um, shout out to the team, Alexandria and Candy. We redid the whole website. We started selling tickets. We started just doing all this stuff. And once that kind of, you know, uh, you know, was off the ground, I went to Ukraine, to Odessa, because there's a beach there, there's a city, there's lots to do. And I've kind of just been, you know, enjoying life there for the last month. Mm-hmm. And when Sam said, hey... I'm going to be in Spain. Do you want to do this road trip with me? I honestly didn't want to come because I wanted just to stay in one place. I'm tired of traveling. And I knew, you know, I would have to fly back to Odessa because all my stuff is there, my huge luggage, as well as my plane ticket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the idea of flying from Ukraine, which is the furthest east you can be in Europe, to the furthest west you can be in Europe, and then back and forth twice, I thought I didn't want to do it. But... I'm glad we're hanging out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not easy to do the flights, but considering the fact that we're able to and we have the option to do it, it's kind of it's silly if we don't. So yeah, it's been fun. Agree, buddy. All well, right. it's been a, it's been an awesome quarter, and dude, glad we're hanging out, listeners. Thanks so much. Like you guys are are definitely our our inspiration for keeping this going. Hearing some of the success stories of people starting their own businesses and taking their own entrepreneurs uh, pursuits and learning how to invest that money to generate passive income and live the life they want. Whether whether that life is staying in one place and raising a family or getting on the road and seeing what's out there as an adventure, it's all good, man. It's all it's all depends on what you want to do and what fits your lifestyle. But it's all inspirational to us. And we'd love to hear those stories. Yeah. So please share your stories in the Boss Lounge. Go to investlikeaboss.com. Click on bonus. You'll get an invite there on how to join our private Facebook group. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some of you guys out in Spain. Hopefully, we'll see some of you guys out in the Nomad Summit. Hopefully, we'll see you guys out somewhere in the world. Thanks for leaving all these great reviews. Sam, thanks for being a good friend and great co-host. It's been a pleasure, man. We crushed the wine. There's nothing left. Can I drink the rest of yours? Yeah, please. Please drink it. I I don't think I want to drink anymore, to be honest. (laughs) Ever again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hasta luego. Hasta luego, buddy. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.